Any education apart from Jesus Christ is for us miseducation. And it produces not education nor an educated man, but a new race of barbarians who are today busily destroying their civilization. Humanistic education is the institutionalized love of death. Christian education, because it serves him who says, I am the way, the truth, and the light, is the love of life. This is the Love of Life Podcast, Conversations with Jesse and Courtney. Welcome to episode 13 of the Love of Life podcast, and here we are. Yes, glad you could join us. Yes. Did you have a um, a good time with the last episode? Oh, it was wonderful. It was a little different, wasn't it? It was different. Um, we had Andrea Schwartz from She was Cal really, Seedon. yeah, she was great. Yeah, she's wonderful. Quite wonderful. If you have not fallen into the rabbit hole of all the content that um, not only Andrea, but also the whole Calcedon Foundation produces, you should. Yes, yes. Yeah. And if really you didn't get stuff. a chance to listen to the uh, either on podcast form, because I think we're on like all of the podcasts, Spotify, Apple, um, or if you didn't get to see it, you can watch it on YouTube as well on the channel. Um, but uh, yeah, talking to her is, she is just a wealth of information and knowledge about the Bible and things. And it's like, I've read the Bible my entire life, but Listening to her on her podcast, sometimes it's like, I have a lot more reading to do. Yeah, a lot more to learn, for sure. I will say, I'm still pondering the whole head covering thing. Yeah. Uh, Like, randomly through the day, or even if, like, the baby gets me up in the middle of the night, like, head coverings? Really? (laughs) That, like, keeps, yeah. Right. I'm still reading through and thinking about that. Okay, and we don't have to go down it for too long, but, I mean, growing up in the church that I was in... There was a, a, a lady or two that wore a head covering. There was? Yeah. Yeah, there was. And, and and even the church we go to now, I last Sunday, I noticed there was a lady or two that had, really? had a head covering on. Yeah. You didn't tell me. Yeah. I don't... Well, okay. Maybe I'm not paying attention because clearly I go to the same church as you. Yeah. But You're not paying up, attention. I don't ever remember. Ever. It was never a thing in your church? At all. Okay, unless I didn't pay attention, which is possible, but no, I don't think it was ever a thing. I mean, like, I can remember, like, there was maybe a lady or two, like, on Easter Sunday who wore, like, a hat. Okay. Like, a Sunday Easter hat. But yeah. that's not the same. Yeah, but... It's not oh, a head covering. Okay. It's not, like, the purpose of... Okay, I don't know. Maybe you wear hats as head coverings. I don't even know. I have not... We haven't gone down that gone into complete that world. rabbit trail. But I'm just saying that was definitely not a known practiced thing yeah and so that's from first corinthians chapter 11 but you know what i should have asked andrea in first corinthians chapter 16 paul ends the same letter with greet one another with a holy kiss and i should have asked her so at your church or in your fellowship of believers are you also following first corinthians chapter 6 i think it's uh verse it's like the last verse in chapter 16 are you kissing one another too? <laughs> yeah. Is that I'm kind of surprised you didn't cultural ask or that because yeah. 
That is one of the things that you often quote, like just being silly. I don't know why it didn't come to mind right then. I think it was so we were, she was talking about that issue about head coverings and such. And, you know, we didn't really ask about it, but she had a long, uh, you know, explanation as to why she does. And it was very interesting. Yeah, it very, was really interesting. Again, it has you thinking about, it has us both it thinking does. about the implications of that. And you mainly because. I've always heard that is a cultural thing and not relevant, but there are other things in that chapter in First Corinthians that we don't say is cultural. We say very much still applies. So like where you delineate this is cultural and this is just biblical obedience and faithfulness, like right. that, I, I don't know. I'm pondering through that, praying through we, that, reading through we, that. We need to ponder and pray through that for sure. Because, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah. Because there's a lot in there that is said to do and not do. And so, yeah, but that just stuck with me because I've not heard that. Yeah. Um, But anyway, aside from that, even the whole conversation was interesting and thought provoking. She's definitely a thinker and a wealth. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Did I tell you today I actually got on just another plug for. Oh, no. Oh, no. Our heater came on. Why don't you you go? Just hit it. Hit, hit, Hit the button. Okay, and we're back because our heater kicked no, on, so we had to turn it off. No, just we're going just, to hear it. We'll go right mid talk. What were we saying? Would you just allow me <laughs> to be the head here? I'm not wearing a head covering, so. <laughs> oh wow! Okay, I'm sure Andrea would have a few things to say about this. We'll have to email her very soon. Okay, so um, no, what I was going to tell you was today I went on just another plug for oh, Calcedon. Yeah. Uh, if you go to, I believe this is the correct address, ctti.org. She talked about this on the podcast with us. Um, you can go and they have free, they have training that's free. You can sign up and register. I did today and you can sign up to go through all of the institutes, which I have it behind, sitting behind me. I don't know if we can see it or not. You can kind of see it back there. It's a huge, thick volume that, uh, you can listen to lectures by R.J. Rush Dooney. volume one, though, right? That's just volume one, There's yes. three. Thank you volumes. very much. Yes. I'm just saying it's a lot of content. Okay, it's a ton of content. So anyway, sign up, ctti.org. Um, and I did today. You need to do it tomorrow. And it's there's a wealth of information on there as well that you Yeah, because Rush Dooney, like, talks through. Yes, Every chapter? He lectures on lectures, yeah. all of the chapters in the book. I listened to the first one. Yeah, it's really good. Really good. He's talking about, um, well, Deuteronomy 6 yeah. and the law, but um, he also talked about a common heresy that came out in like the Middle Ages that we still kind of see pieces of, or at least we did in his time. Um, but just like people viewing the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament as like different gods behaving differently, acting different. Um, almost like different attributes and how that's false. There's more to the heresy, but that was kind of the overarching. Because I feel like in a distilled way, those are some echoes of things that we even see and experience now. Um, they, we, view it, we view it and they viewed it as dispensations, essentially, which is a pluralistic way of looking at God. Yeah, but I never heard it talked about like that. But just there is kind of that feel of, or you hear people say, or you even think like, oh, in the Old Testament, God was this way. He was harsh and he was just and he was you know these things and then jesus is nice and calm like it some of it came comes from that heresy yeah uh even if you don't hear it in those terms of dispensation but we know jesus is the same yesterday today and forever yeah and that the god of the old testament is the god of the new testament and he does not change 
Right. And that scripture, I don't know which one it is, where it is. Okay. And they drank from the rock. Oh, yes. And the rock was Christ. Mm-hmm. So amazing. Is that First Corinthians 10? Probably. Okay. Because that's the one where it talks about they were all uh, baptized under the cloud. Yes. Um, yeah. That should be First Corinthians chapter 10. Okay. Well, I took a screenshot of it. But how quickly can you turn to it? Well, I'm, I'm looking through my screenshots. <laughs> okay. Because I took a screen. Oh, here it is. Okay. See? Um, it is 1 Corinthians 10. Hey, good job. Thank you. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And that's all my screenshot has. That was up to verse 7. But... Mm -hmm. I loved that. And the rock was Christ. It's talking about the Old Testament. It's talking about them through the wilderness. And there's Christ. Yeah. So, yeah, we there is this total continuity. It's that we can easily miss, I guess. Or from some of those heresies, we still kind of have some of that misunderstanding, like passed down mm -hmm. that we ingest. But, right, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the same attributes and characteristics we see of God in the Old Testament are present in the New. Mm -hmm. He's the same. Yeah. And Hebrews goes on to say, when it talks about the sacrifices in Mount Sinai, it goes on to say, our God presently, during when Hebrews was written and is current, uh, now, this is the truth, that our God is a consuming fire. He wasn't, you know, a consuming fire in the Old Testament and Santa Claus or whatever <laughs> people perceive him to be today in 2021 some cuddle bear god in the sky like no he's a consuming fire today yeah he still is that today yeah and i think i think if we lose the perspective of him being a consuming fire and him being god very god of very god and what that means it's we we have a misunderstanding of who god is and who man is and how bad our sin is and how holy our God is, we make God like us. We shrink him. We make him small. Like we're supposed to fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Um, we're not to fear the one that can just kill our bodies. We're to fear the one that can destroy our souls. So having a proper awe and reverence and understanding that he is God. And if he says this is right, it's right. If he says it's wrong, it's wrong. We, you know, feel like God has to answer to us about things. Why did you do this? Or why didn't you do that? Like, he's God. He gets to set the rules. He gets to decide what is evil and what is good. And isn't that part of, like, back to Adam and Eve? Mm -hmm. There's a creature-creator divide. Right. There's the created order. There's us. And there's the creator who is infinite. And how how, how can we say he has made something wrong? How can we say he has done ill? How can we do these things? Well, I mean, <laughs> live in 2021 in an individualistic, selfish, 
man-centered humanistic society, and we think we can believe God to be whatever we want him to be, this God in our pockets, and he's simply not. He is outside of time, space, and yet works within time and space. We Everything he's done has been an act of grace and mercy yeah. in our life. We deserve far worse than we'll, than we'll ever experience as believers. I mean, we have been saved from so much. Um, and that makes us so grateful that God would, you know, come down, <laughs> live among us, Emmanuel, take on flesh, that he would die in our place. He doesn't deserve it. We did deserve it. Just... It makes the gospel so beautiful, and the more we understand God's godness and our fallen humanity apart from Him, I think the more we appreciate, the more we see rightly mm-hmm. salvation, yeah. the whole the whole act of it, yeah. and how amazing and preposterous it is that the God that created everything would be our Savior, right. would die for us. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's remarkable. Yeah, He writes the best stories. Yeah. For sure. Um, So in Acts chapter 9, because it kind of corresponds to this part of our conversation that we're having, um, you have uh, Saul, who becomes Paul and is converted. Um, But, you know, he's on the Damascus Road. And in verse 3, it says, Now as he journeyed, it came to pass that as he came near to Damascus, suddenly there shone round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth, this is Saul, and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you persecute. It is hard for you to kick against the pricks. He then, both trembling and and astonished, said, Lord, what do you desire that I do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told all what you shall do. Um, the interesting, there's many takeaways, there's many interesting things to see in this, but one of the things is this phrase, it is hard for you to kick against the pricks, which, um, I found is only in the King James, uh, and also the new Geneva, or I'm sure the older Geneva Bible, but it's been taken out of all of the other translations, and for some of the other translations, some of them have included, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. But this phrase, kick against the pricks, um, I looked up. And basically, it is a Greek proverb. It is hard for you to kick against the pricks. Um, it's also familiar to the Jews and anyone who had made a living in agriculture. An ox goad was a stick with a pointed piece of iron on its tip used to prod the oxen when plowing. The farmer would prick the animal to steer it in the right direction. Sometimes the animal would rebel by kicking out at the prick, and this would result in the prick being driven even further into its flesh. In essence, the more an ox rebelled, the more it suffered. Thus, Jesus' words to Saul on the road to Damascus, it is hard for you to kick against the pricks. Um... So, (laughs) this is showing that it's hard for Paul to continue doing what he's doing, that there is something, there's something going on in Saul, even before the Damascus Road experience. I mean, we saw that he over, that Saul oversaw Stephen's death and martyrdom, uh, being stoned to death. Um, We saw just a chapter or two before, Saul is going through houses and taking out Christians and 
delivering them over to, you know, the Jews or the guards or, um, you know, Saul is doing all of these terrible and vile things to God's people. And yet we have this weird instance, this interesting phrase that Jesus uses to Saul. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. It's hard for you as it's almost like Saul knows immediately that Jesus is the Christ. It, it, it's like there was almost a foreknowledge, perhaps. I'm not, you know, well, trying like to read something into the text, but been drawing him. Right. It's, if it's hard to kick against, it's because he feels the pull. He feels. The he's pull. been feeling this, right? Um, it seems to come out of nowhere, but Jesus Himself, who obviously knows all things, says to Saul, "It's hard for you to kick against the pricks." And then Saul's reaction is he's trembling and he's astonished. And I'm sure being in the presence of Christ, yeah. he's trembling worthy enough. And yet I also wonder if it's a realization that all of the kicking against Christ is this moment of, ah, here he is. Yeah, here's the one I've been persecuting. Here's the one that I've been running from. Um, and he immediately says, okay, what do you want me to do, Lord? Which is a weird, which is a crazy response because he's been persecuting Christians, he's been overseeing their deaths, and yet his immediate response is, okay, you got me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll go do what you want to do. What What do you want? Total allegiance. Total to allegiance. The one immediate. he's been fighting against. Right. Yeah, that's cool. Right. Yeah, it just makes me think of uh, just the lost and people that are kicking against what they know innately. They see the created order. They see God's invisible qualities being understood from what has been made. Men are without excuse. They see all of the truth and and they know that they're running from their creator. Um, and, you know, this is the story of salvation is that man is completely lost and dead in his sin. Uh, and maybe even before he's saved, the Lord is drawing men and women to him um, as they are kicking against, they're fighting against, they know that he is the risen Lord and Savior of the universe, but they're kicking against him. And um, yeah. It's hard to do so. It's hard. To, it's hard. It's hard to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And this followed up with, um, this is an article that I found, by the way. Um, so Jesus took control of Paul and let him know his rebellion against God was a losing battle. Paul's actions were as senseless as an ox kicking against the goads. Paul had passion and sincerity in his fight against Christianity, but he was not heading in the direction God wanted him to go. Jesus was going to goad or direct or steer Paul in the right, in the right direction. Uh, there is a powerful lesson in the ancient Greek proverb, we too find it hard to kick against the goads. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 15.10, Stern discipline awaits him who leaves the path. When we choose to disobey God, we become like the rebellious ox, driving the goad deeper and deeper. And Proverbs thirteen fifteen says, the way of the unfaithful is hard. Hmm. I love that. Yeah. The way of the unfaithful is hard. People sometimes say, oh, the way of following the Lord is hard, and, and it is, and it can be, of course. But the way of the unfaithful is is hard in this life, and it will be the worst for them in the next. Yeah. So we might as well be faithful now. <laughs> we might yes. as well be faithful to a faithful God. Totally. Totally. Yeah. It also helps in the line of being faithful when our overseers are faithful. Yes. That kind of ties into Acts 
Does it X? Yeah, 20. Oh, X 20? Right in there. Yeah. So in X 20, um, Paul is, um, he goes from Miletus. He's, uh, so therefore from Miletus, he's sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And he's about to leave these people. Um, I'll just say uh, in verse 18 of chapter 20, he says to them, you know, from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all times, serving the Lord with all humility and with many tears and temptations, which came unto me by the by lie, by the lying in wait of the Jews, and how I kept nothing back that was profitable, but have shown you and taught you openly and throughout every house, witnessing both to the Jews and to the Greeks, the repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, and know not what things shall come unto me there, except that the Holy Ghost witnesses in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I am not at all concerned, neither is my life dear unto myself, so that I may fulfill my course with joy in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that henceforth you all, through whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Therefore I charge you to bear witness this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have kept nothing back, but have shown you all the counsel of God. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock of which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. So a faithful overseer and a faithful pastor and a faithful teacher teaches the whole counsel of God. And by and large, I think at least what we see uh, in 2021 and you know throughout our lifetime is there are some good and faithful preachers and teachers of the word of God, and there are a lot that are not. There are a lot of men that are not teaching the whole counsel of God. Um, a real a, a pastor that loves the Lord should not hold back and should speak to the cultural sins of the day, should talk about things that are uncomfortable to talk about. Um, he should be leading in this way from the front. Um, he shouldn't be cowering or hiding in fear of man, or even worse, uh, accepting or approving the cultural taboo sins of the day. Yeah, and it's not enough to just believe the right things in that role and be silent about them. You need to speak them. Right. You need to say them. We need the words. Right. Because then Paul goes on, and he says, For I know this, that after my departure, grievous wolves shall enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Moreover, from among yourselves men shall arise, speaking perverse things, to draw disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I ceased not to warn everyone, both night and day, with tears. So, Paul is saying... In his day, there's going to be wolves that come after me. And he's warning them for three years. He's telling them, <laughs> cry. he's like literally crying, hey, there, there's going to be wolves that come in. They're not going to be on the outside. They're going to be coming in. And, and don't we see that today with Big Eva? Don't we see that today with men who are compromising the word of God? Yeah, Paul didn't cry wolf. 
but right. <laughs> I right. know. Yeah, I see that. Space. They'll bring up Paul didn't throw. That's um, right. So this, he's talking about in his time, in his day, but yeah. then you also related that to, don't we see that? Right. So like, explain that. Like, so some things in the Bible say, and now or soon, this is going to happen. He's clearly talking mm-hmm. to his audience. It's going to happen in their day. Yeah. He's warning a specific group of people that wolves are going to come in. But this what is maybe also a pattern of things, something to watch out for. How do we know that that? Well, I mean, it's been a pattern. Now? It's been a pattern since the early church. Uh, Paul is saying, here's wolves. They're going to come in. They're not going to spare the flock. Um, and throughout the course of the last 2000 years, we've seen, we've seen that in different ways from different men uh, who have come in and who have either created heresies outright in the church, who have done things, you know, Jesus is not, you know, the son of God come in the flesh or, you know, trying to, um, uh, you know, Pelagianism or, you know, uh, denying the Trinity. You know, there's been enormous heresies that have come in into the church. They're not sparing the flock. Um, They're preaching heresy. Uh, I think what we see in our day is we see kind of a, a, a mix of a lot of things. We see, we see heresy, but we also see men who are, um, for whatever reason, you know, sort of on the sidelines with the enemies of Christ, shoulder to shoulder, being friends with the world. And I think, you know, some conversations that we've had is I think a lot of it has to do with uh, political power and persuasion. A lot of it has to do with um, men that, you know, I'm not judging their eternal state, but the fruit of their of their ministry um, appears that they are more concerned with the approval of men in this life and not preaching the entire counsel of the Word of God. I think that is clearly evident today. That a lot of big names, a lot of the names in Big Evening, for instance, are more about getting the approval of men and women in culture today than they are preaching the entire counsel of the Word of God. Yeah. Yeah. And that's sad. (laughs) It's really sad because even if you have good intentions in that, you're straying from the word. You are taking man's word, exalting it, and you're preaching a different gospel at that point. You're saying there's something else that is the problem and the solution other than sin and the Savior. Um, so. Right. Yeah. I just thought that was really interesting when yeah. you read that to me. Yeah. Okay. So what do you have? Yeah. You have something. So I do. Okay. We sing out of this Trinity hymnal. Hey, guess you can see it. The blue one um, at church. And I love it. There are lots of hymns that I've never heard that we sing that I'm like, oh my gosh, it's amazing. And then I try to find them on YouTube um, where they sing them kind of like our church or our church does post their services. So I can go back and hear how our church sings it. But um, this is one that we both after were like, oh my gosh, that hymn, that was awesome. So I think you ought to look this up. It's called, um, Oh, the Deep, Deep Love of Jesus. And I'm just going to read it to you. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured, boundless, free, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me, underneath me, 
all around me is the current of thy love, leading onward, leading homeward, to thy glorious rest above. O oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, spread his praise from shore to shore, how he loveth, ever loveth, changeth, changeth never, nevermore. How he watches o'er his loved ones, died to call them all his own. How for them he intercedeth, watcheth over them from the throne. O oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, love of every love the best. Tis an ocean, vast of blessing, tis a haven, sweet of rest. O oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, tis a heaven of heavens to me, and it lifts me up to glory, for it lifts me up to thee. That's beautiful. Who's it written by? It is by Thomas John Williams, 1890. Ah, John Williams. But Thomas John Williams. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, John uh, Williams is also, pretty old. Okay, but... so why is a Samuel Trevor Francis over here? So maybe one did the music and one did the words? That is a common occurrence. So yes. I'm not sure which one wrote it. Yes. But it's based off of John. It's beautiful. I think we, well, there's some good renditions on YouTube as well. Yeah. That we are. found. Yeah. There are. There's a guy that has a channel called uh, Reawaken. Okay. Hymns, something like I that. Don't know. Anyway, I really liked his version. It's okay. acoustic. Beautiful. Yeah. Very nice. Okay, so our next uh, podcast is going Wait, to be. You have a quote by. Yes, I do. Origin, but it was going yeah. to tie into. Oh. It's going to okay. tie into the next podcast. Cool. I didn't want to go from you reading to this reading, and people are going to be like, all they do is read. What are we they like doing? To read. What, why are they just reading on their podcast? Well. Reading's good. Oh, reading is good. We read. like to read. You're welcome um, for us reading to you. <laughs> right? We're going to listen to Jesse and Cordy read to us. Yeah, how do we know things? I thought they were having conversations. They were just going to oh. read books to us. Well, we read and we converse about what we've read. We do. We do. So, um, our next podcast is going to be with Nathan Anderson, uh, hopefully, because uh, we have things kind of locked in with him for... Uh, a few days from now, we're going to interview him about his documentary called On Earth As It Is In Heaven. He uh, is into uh, post-mill eschatology. If you don't know what that is, you'll have to listen. Uh, if you do know what that is, congratulations. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm really excited about it. So he is also, um, he's currently doing, so he's done On Earth As It Is In Heaven, which is a documentary. And he's doing another uh, docu-series called Teach All Nations. And he has interviewed all the great guys. I mean, we're talking George Grant, Doug Wilson, Ken Gentry, uh, Glenn Sunshine, Gary DeMar. Uh, Yeah, just some of our, some of the guys that were, yeah, yeah, it's it's very good. So we've seen part one of that, which he's released. And there's more to come. And it's just, is really good. It's really refreshing. And I think that um, in 2020, 2021, we're in right now. I say 2020. I don't know why. Yeah, two- we're almost done with 2020. We're almost done with 2021. With I don't know what's going on. So anyway, uh, during this crisis, sound like Ronald Reagan all of a sudden. During this <laughs> present crisis. Um, no, during this time that looks so dark and so bleak and things are such at utter confusion and things could really get bad and could get far worse. I, you know, and we don't have to talk about all of the, the, the things at this moment right now that we see. 
Um, but one of the things that uh, we have hope in is our um, our understanding that Christ is bringing all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Christianity will one day be the one world religion. It will one day triumph in this world on this earth. Earth in heaven, uh, on, so that when, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, um, on earth, uh, like... Um, yeah, on earth as it is on in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. Uh, we're, we're praying that the Lord's will is done on this earth, in present time, not in a future after some cataclysmic event. Um, we are praying for the growth of the gospel, which it will flourish and it will triumph, and the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. So it's very exciting. That's a little bit of a preview. So one of the quotes I found today, I'm reading a book by Kenneth Gentry called He Shall Have Dominion. And um, great book. He's inter- he, I'm on this part where he's introducing what postmillennialism is. And he's quoting a church father. Some people think, well, postmillennialism started with Jonathan Edwards or the Puritans or, you know, in the, you know, it's no post an optimistic, optimistic eschatology. That is a view that the end of all things will be viewed not negatively, not negatively, uh, not with the world destroying itself in some crazy, you know, apocalyptic fashion, um, but that the world will end with um, Christ triumphing, uh, triumphing, triumphing, triumphing. <laughs> My can't come out. So. It's very late. <laughs> it okay, it is really late. It is late. It's like midnight. Okay, so. Lastly, Origen. Origen was a church father um, who said, quote, uh, and this is, so Origen lived, let me just say this, Origen lived from 185 to 254. This is not long after uh, Christ being on the earth, right? Mm-hmm. He said, quote, it is evident that even the barbarians, when they yield obedience to the word of God, will become most obedient to the law and most humane, and every form of worship will be destroyed except the religion of Christ, which will alone prevail. And indeed, it will one day triumph as its principles take possession of the minds of men more and more every day. And, uh, he says this represents the essence of post-millennial optimism. So I'm super excited to talk to Nathan. Yeah. Awesome. I'm super excited. Now, any closing words? Um, I did have a thought earlier when you were talking. It's not a closing word. It's more of a question. But when you were talking about in Acts 20 okay. about, um, you know, people need to be teaching the full counsel of the word and we got to be on the lookout for wolves and all that. Like, what are guards? How do we know that somebody is teaching the whole council or they aren't? And how do we know when to beware? That's a really big question. I mean, it really is a big question. Let's save it. <laughs> well, really, let's save it because I think that this that's 30 minutes at least of just talking okay. through some things. But you'll answer it? Uh, yes, I will answer it. But I, not next time because we're talking to Nathan, so the time after that. Save it for next time after that. And I, I will have to save my questions. I will... Give you an answer for that one. Cool. Okay. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Love of Life podcast, Conversations with Jesse and Courtney. It is our duty through our schools to create a new one, a God-centered one. 
We are told in Proverbs 8, verses 35 and 36, For whoso findeth me findeth life, and shall obtain favor of the Lord. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death. 